Okay. Man, I am so glad y'all are here. This is great. Hey, did y'all notice that we have some guests joining us? Did you notice these ladies come down here? They are going to be so helpful. They, uh, they all have these plastic bags. You see those plastic bags? Now, they're not going to show you what's inside those, but I'm going to tell you that it's a special gift that they've made for you that they're going to give you. Pretty cool, huh? I'm glad they came. <laughs> Me too. That's awesome. Hey, did you know that, that uh, a long time ago there were some shepherds in a field just hanging out with their sheep and with each other, maybe even around a campfire? Everything seems normal. Then all of a sudden, one of God's messengers, an angel, shows up and just terrifies those shepherds. And they are so scared. And that messenger, that angel, said to those shepherds that a baby, the Savior, had been born in Bethlehem that very day. And to those shepherds' ears, that would have been a promise that God had made that now He was keeping and fulfilling. God had told them that He'd send them a child, and He did it. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9, we can read that promise that Isaiah gave from the Lord many, many years before those shepherds heard the angels tell them. And it said in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, there will be no end to the increase of His government or to peace on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And so you can see that God promised He'd send a child, and He did. And that angel told those shepherds that they could go into Bethlehem. In fact, He invited them to go. Go into Bethlehem and find the baby Jesus. Did you know what? Those shepherds went. They didn't need any encouragement. They didn't need to be told to do it. They didn't question whether or not they should go. They didn't sit there and talk about, well, do you think the baby was really born? No, they knew that the baby had been born just like the angel said. And because they knew it, they went to find the baby. They didn't know where to look. They, they didn't have an address. They weren't told what particular place. But they went and they knew they could find that baby because they had been told that the baby had been born. Because they believed the words of the angel, they went and looked for Jesus. Do you know what that ta that's talking about? That's talking about hope. They were certain about what the angel said. And because of that, it changed the way they lived. They left and they went to find that baby Jesus. Pretty amazing, huh? Did you know for a believer in Jesus Christ... Hope, expecting God to do what God says He will do, hope characterizes the life of a believer. It always has and it always will. It's pretty amazing. Pretty cool. Did you know today we light our second Advent candle? And uh, if you remember, now this Sunday I'm going to light the center candle. Stand back. Fire. Okay, I'm going to light the center candle. Sit down. Sit down for me. Now, this Sunday I'm lighting the center candle. Last Sunday I didn't light the center candle. The center candle is the Christ candle. Now, 
Some of you kids, in your advents at home, you haven't lit the center candle because you're going to light that on Christmas Day. Don't go home and tell your parents they're wrong. Don't say, Pastor Kevin lit the center candle. Last week I didn't, this week I did. You just do whatever you want in your house, okay? This candle is the peace candle. Remember we talked about peace from God last week, how Jesus Christ dying has given us peace when we trust in Christ. And then this week we're lighting the hope candle. That is the hope. Whoop. There it goes. The hope candle. All right, there's our peace candle, our hope candle. Hey, I hope you kids will have fun celebrating Advent with your families. I'm really excited that you get to do that. Y'all can go on back to your seats now. Just kidding, just kidding. I heard somebody go, what about the gift? Come on. You see, what's funny about this is that I told you guys you'd be getting a gift. And ever since I told you, you've probably been thinking about what's in that brown bag. And uh, when I told you to go, I bet you would have gone back to your seats. And the first thing you said to your parents is, doesn't feel like Christmas here at Southside. You'd be upset with me if I made you go back to your seats because from the second I told you you were going to get a gift, you believed you were going to get it. It's changing the way you act even down here. You're ready to go get it. I mean, you're ready to storm these ladies, knock them off the chairs, dig into those bags, and get your gift. It's going to be an exciting moment. Yeah, you are. Well, it's going to be a great time. Hey, listen, if you were, here, if you were not here last week and you didn't get the handout or the bag... For celebrating Advent, tell your parents to pick that up before you leave so that tonight you can start celebrating Advent as a family. Okay? All right, y'all can go to your seats now. Does anybody want the gift? Hey, these ladies, look at these ladies. These wonderful and beautiful ladies have made you a gift. Now listen, I want you to know why. Because they love and care about you. And they want every one of you to follow Jesus Christ. And this little gift is just to remind you of this day. A day that we celebrate our hope in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, so you guys just find one of these ladies and they're going to give you your gift. And once you get it, you can go back to your chairs. Thanks for coming down. I know that some of you are aware of the fact that every year I make a little Christmas list with a few items that I would like to have for Christmas and I submit that list to the powers that be around uh, Thanksgiving or so. And so I've submitted my list. Now I want you to listen to these two statements. See if you can distinguish the difference between the two. Alright, here's statement number one. I hope that I get the gifts on that list. Okay, statement one, number one. Here's statement two. In hope, I wait for those gifts on the list. Did you catch the difference? The first one, I hope I get the gifts, is a statement that really doesn't convey or illustrate biblical hope. It actually conveys some degree of doubt based on the circumstances that I can't control and don't have any really knowledge of whether they'll carry out the way I'd like for them to carry out. So uncertainty conveyed in the first statement. In the second statement, in hope, I wait for those gifts. Now that is a statement where I am certain about an outcome. I know what's going to happen and I wait for that outcome to occur. 
Now that second statement illustrates biblical hope. It's a certainty of an outcome that has been promised. Namely by God. That's biblical hope. Now, if you have biblical hope in your life, it changes the way you live your life. You see, real and true hope changes the way you live. Let me give you an example. About 19 years ago or so, I would have um, carried out some decisions in my life very differently if I had had the first kind of hope. You see, about 19 years ago, I made a decision and made a plan, a very, a very great plan, I thought, to ask Lindley to marry me. And if I had thought about that moment, the first kind of hope, if I would have said to myself, you know, I really hope she says yes, I promise you I would not have asked her to marry me because I needed some serious, biblical kind of hope to step out on that limb. But because I did have certainty of what the outcome would be, I entered that situation with real hope. In hope, I'm going to ask Lily to marry me. And if my roommate had asked me that night, where are you headed? I would have said to him something like this. Hey, I'm headed out the door to go see Lindley. Tonight I'm going to ask her to marry me. I'm going to come back to this apartment and engage, man, because I'm going to ask her to marry me. She's going to say yes. How could she not say yes? That's what I would have said to my roommate because I had hope. That illustrates biblical hope, and biblical hope absolutely affects the way you live. You do life differently when what resides in your heart is biblical hope. And hope, catch this, has always characterized the lives of believers. And it always should. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, let's read verses 18 through 25. Lindley's probably going to tell me when I go home, you probably shouldn't have had that much hope. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, 
We wait eagerly for it. Now, every one of us here knows the difference between an empty promise and a promise that is as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow. We all know the difference. And I suspect that every single person in this room, at one level or another, has experienced in your life broken promises. Whether it be broken promises in your family, I suspect a large degree of us have been some way touched by divorce in the home. Either your parents were divorced, you've been divorced, or someone close to you has gone through that. And that is a significant experience that we all can relate to broken promises. I suspect there's a number of you that experience broken promises in the workplace. Some of you have been laid off, you've been promised certain things, and those things don't come about. I suspect a good number of us have experienced broken promises within relationships. Things that were said, things that were, were told. It just didn't come to fruition. And, and life in this world that has been broken by sin is often seasoned by broken promises and difficult experiences that can create this feeling that hope is just kind of dissipating. It's just hard to grasp. It's like an intangible dream instead of a solid reality. And we think about what's happened in our lives with some of the difficulty that we've experienced. When we think about what's happening in other countries, even today where people believe in Christ and stand for righteousness, and today they are being threatened with their very lives, experiencing physical persecution. We think about what's happened in the world of brokenness and the difficulty that comes along with that. It can make hope feel like it's just a dream. We can find ourselves saying things like, I really hope that this will happen. I really hope that things will get better. I really hope. And, and we begin to talk in the flavor of that first kind of hope that expresses doubt and uncertainty. And that is not how it should be in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. The, the, the believer should be saying things like, in hope I trust, in hope I know, in hope I stand. Because we should not be a people who stands in uncertainty and doubt, and yet so many things in this world can creep in and create that feeling in us. But in reality, in reality, the difficult experiences of life should never diminish a believer's hope. In fact, I am overwhelmingly convinced that Scripture clearly teaches that no matter what our experiences in this life, on this earth, our hope in Christ can continually increase. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this the more difficult things become, the more you suffer, the brokenness of this world, as a person who stands in righteousness, 
the more your hope should increase. That's only possible when you understand biblical hope. And this passage will tell us how we can make sure that our hope in Christ increases, particularly in the midst of suffering. And this is a message that not only do we need this Christmas season, but it's a message that everyone around us who is experiencing the difficulty of living in this world without Christ absolutely needs. So I want you to walk with me through Romans chapter 8, starting again in verse 18. We're just going to walk verse by verse through this so that we can make sure we understand how is it in the life of a believer can we experience increasing hope, particularly in increasing difficulty. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. What you and I face in this life, and it doesn't matter how bad what you face is for you or how bad what I face is for me, we could be facing the worst of the worst. And it doesn't change the truth of this statement. The sufferings of this life, be it to the greatest degree, is not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us when Christ returns. So what that means is, no matter how difficult life may become now, it should no way lessen the reality or the promise or the certainty of what's going to come when Jesus Christ returns. And no matter how bad things get here, we should not translate that into understanding in some less than accurate way the promises and the glory and the reality of what it's going to be like when Christ returns. What we experience now should not be used to lessen what's coming then. What's being experienced now should be actually overshadowed by what's coming then so that even in what happens now, be it terrible if it is, could increase our hope in what's coming then. The glory that's to be revealed to us in Christ should overshadow all suffering that happens now so that we say, you know what's happening now is of no consequence because of what I know is coming then. And your hope should increase because you know it's of no comparison to what you will receive in Christ. Did you catch that? Verse 19. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation itself is anxiously longing for the day when Christ returns and unveils those who belong to Him. All of non-human creation is anxiously longing for the day when Christ reveals who are His. There's something that's going to happen when Christ returns for His church that is going to be so profound in recreating that all of the current creation, non-human creations, longing for that day. All of creation right now is looking for the day when Christ returns to take us home. And the reason that all creation is looking for that is found in verse 20. Verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility or emptiness, 
not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So all of creation is looking for Christ to return and redeem His people because all of creation is longing for redemption itself. All of non-human creation was subjected to futility, emptiness, vanity. And it was subjected to that by God because sin entered the earth. When sin entered the earth, it broke all of creation. It doesn't take me to convince, it didn't take me much to convince you that creation is broken. Things are not right. And what happened is, in, when sin entered into the world, is that creation, the non-human creation, could no longer fulfill its God-created purpose fully. It's broken. You see, all of non-human creation was meant to be experienced by humanity in such a way that we fulfill God's created purpose for us in the enjoyment and the oversight of all of creation and that all of it in harmony glorifies God for the purpose for which He created it. But when sin entered the world, it all broke. And now all of non-human creation is actually groaning for the day that Christ returns and redeems His people because of what's going to happen on that day in non-human creation. Non-human creation longs for that day because that day is so incredible. Everything you walk by, the trees, the dirt, the, the, the rocks, everything is crying out for the day Christ returns because all of this non-human creation knows that what Christ is going to do in creation will once again enable all of creation to fulfill its God-created purpose. To glorify God perfectly. In all of creation, Paul's wanting us to see, is actually longing for and groaning for that redemption of the sons of God so that everything in creation could be returned to its rightful place in glorifying God fully. Now look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So up until the time Paul is writing this, and then after the time Paul writes this, the creation is groaning and suffering towards this end, that God would return and renew all things as they were intended to be. In fact, the groaning of creation is so significant. You've you got to catch this here. The non-human creation is so groaning for Christ to renew all things. What's coming then is so amazingly wonderful that everything created is groaning for that day in the same way a woman experiences the pain of childbirth. I don't pretend to know what that's like. I don't want to know what that's like. I have no desire to understand that concept. But what I do know is that when we had our three kids, Lindley wanted me to feel pain. And, and she wanted me to experience difficulty in her moments of pain. And in the pain of childbirth, she was inflicting pain upon me. She was squeezing my arm one time. I thought my hand was going to fall off. I'm like, do you realize you're hurting me? I don't care, you know. I mean, she's focused in 
on birthing the child in order to receive what's coming. And she's willing to go through that pain, but the pain is significant. Now, all of creation is experiencing that pre-birth pain and trauma, longing for the birth of the baby. And you know when the baby comes, that mother is not sitting there regretting the pain. She's holding life. I don't know if you ladies were like Lindley, but after one and two, she's like, I'm ready for a third. I'm like, dang, gum. <laughs> what happened to all the pain, you know? It's just, it's just gone. Why? Because new life changes everything. And all of creation knows that what's coming in Christ is so significantly wonderful that it is feeling pains to get there. It longs and groans for Christ to return. All of creation is certain of that day. And everything in non-human creation is bent towards the return of Christ because there's nothing like that day. And the passage tells us in verse 23, that not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. We groan too. We who have been given the Spirit of God have the unique opportunity to join the rest of creation in groaning for our adoption as children of God. We don't like to experience difficulty. We don't like for things to go wrong. We don't want suffering. We don't like to see our friend get cancer. We don't like to see our loved one die. We don't like to see the brokenness of this world. We long for Christ's return. And the Spirit of God has been placed in each one who is trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior as a deposit, a guarantee for what is to come, that we might with the Spirit of God feel this groaning for the return of Christ so that all things are set in place and made right and all wrongs are done away with and all sickness is gone and all healing comes fully and completely at the return of Christ. We groan for Christ to come again because the Spirit of God bears witness with us that we belong to God and because we know by the Spirit of God that our adoption in Christ is certain, we look for that day with every piece of expectation we can muster. We find hope in hope. I eagerly await for Christ's return. And if things in this place continue to get worse, guess what? That's only going to make my hope increase because I know what that day holds. And in no way does the difficulty of this life shadow what's coming. No, what's coming shadows what's happening so that I don't lose sight of my adoption in Christ. In hope, I wait for the kingdom of God to come. No matter what happens, my hope will increase. That, is to be the life and the sentiment of a believer in Jesus Christ. Increasing hope. You notice here in verse 24 that Paul says, For in hope we have been saved. 
But hope that is not seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? In hope we have been saved. Now think about this in terms of Advent. In Advent we are celebrating Christ's first coming. And we are also anticipating or hoping in Christ's return. You do not celebrate His first coming without also anticipating or hoping for His second coming. In the same way that we are looking at what has happened and what will happen in our celebration of Advent, in our Christian lives, in our salvation, we have the same experience. We have been saved by Christ through faith in Christ. We have been forgiven of our sins, but we are also looking for a salvation. It's both now and coming. It's both happened and it's not happened yet. We are in salvation, saved in hope, so that we experience by the first fruits of the Spirit, by the indwelling of the Spirit, a peace, a taste, a morsel of the kingdom of God. We see God unveil His kingdom in a glimpse, a, a, a proof-giving experience when Jesus comes and offers all these healings and all these amazing experiences. We see Jesus say, this is the kingdom that I'm going to bring, but now you have to trust Me and you have to depend on Me and the Spirit of God will be planted in you so you have a taste of the kingdom of God in the brokenness of this world. Don't lose sight of what I'm going to do. I will bring the kingdom of God. You've been saved in hope. You've been given a taste and what a taste it is. You've experienced a morsel and what a life-changing morsel it is. But it is not anywhere close to what's coming in Christ. What's coming has not been seen. It's not been experienced. If we have everything we're supposed to have in Christ, Paul says we are to be pitied of most Everybody in the world. Paul says that if all we have is to hope in Christ in this life, which means we have it all now, then we are to be pitied. Because what's really, really outstanding about faith in Christ is not what we have now, but what's coming. That's what's outstanding. What we have now is just the indwelling of the Spirit that we might hang on for what's coming. We are supposed to be a people whose identity is bound up in the future, in the promises of God yet to be fulfilled. We should be a people of hope, undying and ever-increasing hope, because Jesus Christ has promised to return. And if He promised it, He's going to return. And verse 25 says, we hope for what we do not see with perseverance. We wait eagerly for it. What do you not see today? You don't see a life without sin. You don't see a life without broken promises. You don't see a life without suffering, and sickness, and death, and heartache, and brokenness that almost wears us out. You don't see a life absence of all of that. You don't see complete perfection and healing and life and joy and eternity. You don't see that. But guess what? That's what's coming. And so because that is coming, we wait with perseverance, with absolute certainty that Jesus Christ will fulfill what He's promised to fulfill. We are to be a people of hope. Because in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ, Hope has always characterized that life. And it always will. It always will.
I'm, I'm not mistaken in my word choice. It always will. When Christ returns and takes all His people home and recreates the earth and everything is then able to fulfill its God-created purposes, us included, do you know that right now we can't fully fulfill God's created purposes in us because we are still marred by the effects of sin? But a day is coming when we will be fully set free into redemption and we will be able to fulfill God's created purpose in us. And when that happens and everything is set in perfection, do you know that we will still experience the joy of anticipated hope, the amazement of hope realized, and the celebration of the joy of God fulfilling who He is for eternity. And here's why that will happen. Because we will never for all eternity mine the depths of who God is. And so every day that we start in eternity is a day that we will be promised something new about who God is. Do you know what that creates in us? Hope. And guess what? We get to experience it. And hope is realized. And it brings great celebration. And it also brings anticipation for more. And for all of eternity, we will experience a continual cycle of promises and the character of God unveiled. Hope. And hope realized. And the celebration of who Christ is. It will be absolutely phenomenal for all eternity. Because God is infinite in His perfections. We have so much to hope for. So much. And so shouldn't we share this message? I mean, isn't there enough hopelessness to go around this Christmas season? Isn't there enough brokenness? There's enough brokenness in this room alone to give us every bit of motivation to share the message of hope. And I hope and I believe that every fiber of my being that we should be a people who shares the message of hope. The more we celebrate Christ's first coming and orient our lives to who He is and what He's promised, the more we will stand in hope. And hope has always characterized the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. And it always will. Now if I said to you this morning, I really believe that uh, there might be some lead in the paint on the walls there. Would that change anything for you this morning? I mean, would you get up and bolt out of here? I I doubt it. But if I said to you, there's a fire in the mechanical room, and you started seeing smoke billow through the vents, I suspect that many of you want to leave this building pretty quickly. The message of hope is not like the message of lead paint. It's like the message the fire is in the building. You see, biblical hope changes the way you live. And I pray that this Advent season we would have renewed hope in Christ. We'd share the message of Christ and we'd live with ever-increasing hope no matter what. That's the life of a believer. Always has been and always will be.